Robert, I don't think this is very funny. Bobby. Who is this? As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go home. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I am Ron. And this is our review of Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, starring Melody Kennedy, John Shepard, Shavar Ross, Marco St. John, Richard Young, Juliet Cummings, and Dick Land. Directed by Danny Steinman, released in 1985 on a budget of $2.2 million, grossed $21.9 million at the box office. So, you know, I uh, have strong memories of seeing this film. Um, I, I caught it in my teen years on one of those free HBO weekend things or whatever, and I was like, oh, I've never seen this one. This will be cool. Because I thought I was missing something between parts four and six to sort of bridge the gap or whatever. Uh-huh. And turns out, I kind of missed Friday the 13th's version of Halloween 3. You know, where let's do it, but not with our main character. Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, you're you're not wrong there. It's definitely not... It, I think this is what started the, the entire series on a on a path to not making as much money. Oh yeah, it definitely went down a different road. This is the thing, and I always talk about this for a series that had to crawl out of the gutter to begin with to get as good as it got in part four, which I think is is far superior to anything else they've put out so far. To then do this is I can't think of a good analogy to it. It's like. When Kiss took off their makeup and tried to do acoustic ballads all of a sudden <laughs> in in the eighties, if you remember Hot for the Sun, you know, they had a they had a song in there called Forever, which was co written by Michael Bolton. And as a pop song, it's not bad, but when I think this is Kiss doing this song, it it seems rather disingenuous that the guys who also wrote Let's Put the X in Sex wrote a song about foreverness. You know, it it feels like that sort of just broad left turn into nowhere Albuquerque all of a sudden. Yeah, and it, it's definitely not not as satisfying for it. Yeah, I, it, I don't it know. never it never quite feels like a Jason movie. No, it doesn't. It it feels well, and it's probably good because Jason's not in it. So, but the funny thing is, all the things that we think about with Jason in pop culture, all the over the top multi-instrument kills and things like that start here with Roy the random ENT, <laughs> you know? I mean, all the just flare in the mouth and all the stuff we're going to talk about started in part five. And it's like they kept the continuity idea of the through line together, but throughout the characters. <sighs> well, I-, I think we should just go ahead and jump right into explaining this ridiculous plot. I think we should, and I'm going to leave that to you to tell us what happens in Friday the 13th, Part 5. I'll do my best to mask my disgust here. (laughs) Tommy, reeling from the experience with Jason years earlier, is transferred to a secluded halfway house where other young patients soon become victims of serialized killings in the style of Jason Voorhees. Tommy even sees Jason in various places as the bodies stack up, but no one believes him. As it turns out, Jason isn't back at all. Instead, an ambulance driver named Roy is killing people uh, dressed up like Jason in an attempt to get revenge for the death of his estranged son, killed earlier in the movie by another patient at the camp. (laughs) 
which go is on, yeah. yeah. Tommy, <laughs> Tommy eventually turns the tables on Roy, and he dies on farming. <laughs> However, Tommy dons Jason's or Roy's mask at the end of a, at the end, leading us to believe he may be ready to take up the mantle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which uh, let's. Yeah. Let, let's let, let me just say, if it had been Tommy the whole time, better movie. Oh, by far. Can I tell you how cheated I always feel that it isn't him? Like, they, it's the red herring of all red herrings, and it should have paid off. Like, how could they not? Because they almost want to do that at the end anyway, because he's got the knife on Pam, the assistant director, who, who doesn't wear underwear and white shirts in the rain uh, at the camp. Well, let's start there, though, with that, because I want to. There's a Corey Feldman cameo we'll need to talk about. But first things first. <laughs> Your entire family is murdered at a camp, and the the institution decides the thing you need to do to transition back into reality is go hang out in the woods. Yeah, is this like that? Um, you know that therapy where they use to, that they do to people to get them uh, to get rid of their phobias, like. All right, we're going to stand with the snake across the room, and then every so often we're going to bring the snake a little closer until we drape it around your neck, and then you'll see snakes aren't anything to be afraid of, except it's a machete-wielding serial murderer slash demon. Maybe, maybe that's it. I, I don't know. I I question the values of this camp. Also, what is this halfway house camp? Like The other people that are there who are just the body count in this movie – I don't know why any of them are there or what treatment they are seeking. There are two, like, sex-crazed people. There's a girl that, like, break dances. There's uh, uh, just another... There's the random fat kid that gets killed early that turns out to be Roy's son. There's the Clint Eastwood lookalike who kills him. I don't know (laughs) what these people are doing. Like, what therapy they're having out here at the camp. I'm going to say it's one of those, um, like, things where they... Like, a bad kid work camp. Like how they'll mm-hmm. send kids to like in movies, they'll send kids to like cattle ranches and stuff and be like, you're going to work hard all summer and it's going to get the axe murderer out of you. Yeah, I get, maybe that is it. You know what? It's funny, though, watching this and I know it came out in <clears throat> 1985. I was having sort of flashes in my head of like, this feels like the same dynamic they were setting up in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. It's sort of the same idea. <laughs> It's it, but done much better in Dream Warriors than here, uh, I will say. So, uh, okay, let's let's just open up the movie. Or, Corey or Feldman, like, um, or like uh, Halloween four, how the little girl puts the mask on at the end, the clown mask on, right? And she's supposed to be the new killer, but then they totally wuss out on that in the next time. Which, if you ask Danielle Harris at a horror convention, and you can find her there, she will tell you that's what she thought was going to happen. Was she was going to be Michael's little accomplice or whatever so which would have been much better in part five than what we got but i digress into another series that we've already talked about let's talk about the opening here though because we do get our Corey feldman uh cameo um in between shooting goonies and trying to be a legitimate actor in his backyard they bury jason Voorhees and make him dream that a couple of yahoos are digging him up right yeah pretty much he had one day off uh every week from shooting goonies and he used that one day off to show up for this cameo. Um, yeah. This goes back to the whole, um, the issue of who gave Jason Voorhees a grave. I can only assume that some sort of hallucination on his part and that nobody actually buried Jason somewhere. Well, you, you hold that because part six predicates on that idea. I guess everybody gets buried somewhere, you know, especially in Crystal Lake. I mean, holy cow, they seem to just, you know, they they should have a pretty good cottage industry of funerals in that town. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they only had to perform like 40, in, you know, through a couple of weeks there. So it's the end of part four. Like, really, how was Crystal Lake not murder capital of the world for like a decade? You know? I mean, it's, it's practically at Detroit levels of homicide. I mean, Detroit probably stepped up the game to catch up to Crystal Lake, I think so. But yeah, uh, we get this ragtag group of, I, I wrote down mental patients or something. I don't know. Like the first yeah. thing that hits me is he wakes up in the back of this car, new Tommy, not Corey Feldman, 
who barely speaks in this film, by the way. And I blame that almost all on the fact that they hired this guy and then realized, this guy is awful. Don't give him lines. And so they took him all away and gave him to somebody else. Uh, gave him to the kid that played Dudley, I guess, or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with uh, Richie the Reckless. But uh, they, <laughs> they, they have this group of people, and like they're working on farm equipment. This one guy's on a tractor, and then he's later he's chopping wood with an axe. And there's there seems to be a lot of physical labor at the camp. Maybe it is right. Maybe it is one of those boot camp things you were talking about. But then I'm not sure why the the one kid who is clearly implied that he's mentally handicapped uh, is there to raise or uh, what's his name, son. Yeah, right? yeah, Roy's son. Roy's yeah. son. I, here's the thing on Roy's son, who loves chocolate bars and getting in the way of laundry and and things like that. I, you know, the, the get the idea that his mother's not alive, right? And so they don't know who the father is. Um, this is all revealed in the end that Roy is the father through some clippings in his wallet that he, you know, I'm glad he left that behind for everyone to figure out. Oh yeah, and, and so <clears throat> to piece all this together. Uh, you know, like the end of Psycho or something at the end of this movie. All of a sudden, I uh, I don't know why he's there other than maybe he had nowhere else to go. And this is just sort of where they stuck him. I sort of almost took it like maybe Joey just sort of hung out and like helped around the camp. Maybe he wasn't a patient. But then they no, they make it clear he's got files and is a patient. So I I don't know. Yeah. um, He's uh, Lenny from of, of Mice and Men, I guess. I think that's his whole issue. Maybe he like accidentally killed someone by trying to pet their head and broke their neck. Well, look, he goes after the two girls doing laundry and it's like, you you know, you don't want my help. Fine. I'll go somewhere else. And I'm like, I could see this dude like accidentally, you know, lighting the house on fire and killing, you know, 20 school children or something, you know, something like that. Like he's, he's probably been involved in stuff where he doesn't realize what he's done. Yeah. (laughs) He, he's definitely a bedwetting pyromaniac type. Oh, for sure. But he loves that chocolate because he's double fisting those suckers too. You know, he's, and he's got on a sweater and, I, I don't know. It's very strange, but the, we, we waste no time, like five minutes, and he gets it in the in the back uh, by Vic with the axe, who not only does that, we get a great shot when they lift up the, the bed sheet or whatever, and, like, he chops him to pieces, man. Like, he, he totally dismembers Joey. Yeah. I, and I honestly, I don't understand it. I it think Dick just had enough and was like, you know what? I'll, I got no problem going back to prison. Maybe the food was so bad he just wanted to go back to cell block C. You know, it's, it's, I think it's actually put out as a red herring that we're supposed to think that this guy escapes somewhere along the way and then kills everybody. But we never see this dude again. Like, yeah, ever. it's like they cut that part of the movie out and they left the, the murder because they spent all the money on the murder. And then yeah. they left out the part where he's supposed to escape police custody and be on the run. And maybe, you know, come back to be another victim of fake Jason. And replaced it with Roy, <laughs> you know, the EMT. So who who makes absolutely no sense. Well, look, but they lay that out so quick, though. It's so obvious that this guy is somebody um, you can um, that, that you're supposed to pay attention to because they linger on him. You know, when when they show the, the Joey body and he like flinches. You know, like, oh, no, you know, or whatever. And I I don't know. I just thought it was so obvious. I'm like, this guy is a nobody, and we are focusing on him. So that tells me immediately he's somebody to pay attention to. I just assumed, uh, well, at least I, uh, the first few times, uh, the first time I watched it, I just assumed that they were just going to have him be like a horny doctor part two, the, <laughs> the paramediking or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's Axel's cousin or something like that. Yeah, I was just, uh, you know, I wasn't saying he was in part two. I was just saying it was going to be like the return of horny doctor yeah. in, in the gropey paramedic. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe that's what they, they went for. But lingering shots of this dude. Um, and I, I also assume that's why they kind of made him a scumbag so we wouldn't be bothered when Jason killed him. But turns out he was Jason. I know. I, well, and I guess we're not supposed to be bothered when he gets thrown on farm equipment later. So, but because uh, I'm not, I'll just go ahead and tell you. But um, the thing is, though, and, and we've got to talk about this because it should be said: the director here never did anything else, and really only worked in like porn beforehand, right? <laughs> Danny Steinman. <laughs> and the thing that gets me about this is that 
they told him uh, when when he did this that every six to seven minutes they needed a kill on screen. So they wrote the script with that idea, which I haven't seen a lot of porn, but I've been told that that's how porn movies are structured too, that every five to six minutes you get some action, right? And that's what we have here. Is uh, You can almost set a watch by it, man, in this movie. Every five to six minutes there's some gratuitous murder on screen. Yeah, uh, and, and it's pretty much always um, not. Yeah, it pretty much is always meaningless murder as well. Well, like that's the thing. This whole movie is concocted as a revenge tale for Roy, who is set off because he's a deadbeat dad. His son gets chopped up, and then all of a sudden he's like, I'll show them. I'll do it just like Jason. And like the way he has all this put together, this is incredibly premeditated, or else he worked real fast to get into murder mode. You know? I, I, I just don't understand why, and, and I know it's pointless to look for some logic in this flick, because there's none. But I just don't understand why we're supposed to be like, oh, it made sense. He killed because that was his son, the son that he neglected, the son that he <laughs> pawned off on a halfway house, right, the, son, that has- the son that he probably gave type 2 diabetes to by right. feeding him <laughs> candy bars. Well, I mean, like it was told he never had any – Joey didn't even know who his father was. He was never in the picture, but he was aware of it. I'm like, what are you, stalking him? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it kind of fits his creepy mo. It's so, you know what? It, what is so funny is I watched the Truman Show not long ago, and I kind of felt like maybe Roy was kind of like the dad on the Truman Show, and he got forced out somehow, and we didn't know. So I, I don't know. It's very, very strange. But uh, we, but we just set up more random murder, right? Because I mean, that's what has to happen every five to six minutes here is random murder. So the next two are guys who look like they're trying out for parts in Greece, right? Like a Greece revival over. In and Crystal Lake or something. Pete and Vinny. I'd watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I almost would, right? But they get the the -the over-the-top kills again. Vinny gets a road flare in the mouth, you know, which is so cheesy looking. And then Pete gets his throat cut with a machete from the back seat. So Roy not only knows how to kill like Jason, but he can also move like a ninja because he sneaks in and out of cars and buildings and like nobody ever hears him coming. He's definitely been studying the um, one of those compilation DVDs from the early 2000s where it's all of Jason's best kills because he, he definitely knows the M.O. He definitely found the network of ridiculous tunnels that they establish in the, the remake. <laughs> and he's, he's, disapp- he, he's moving entirely too quickly for someone who's built like a doughy paramedic. I would say, yeah, he's not like a built dude, but he's not small either. He's just a... A, just your average everyday schlub, you know, right? But there's not. But he has unbelievable strength in this in this film to do things. It's like when he puts the Jason mask on, he becomes something else. But they're telling us the whole time that this is not really Jason with the the outfit, you know. And that's this is one of those little horror geek things. But even I noticed it when I saw this when I was a kid. It was like the Jason mask. Has didn't have blue on it. It had red on it, and that's the Roy mask. Is that's how you're supposed to know that's Roy? Is the blue chevrons on the hockey mask? I just assumed that it was a continuity error for the, the filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It may have started out as one, but then but then they do flashbacks where Tommy's seeing Jason and he's wearing the red mask, which is it makes me think they're like, no, somebody actually thought this out. You know, which also makes me realize there are people working on this movie that put thought into it. Holy cow. How an empty existence. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I guess that's why they have uh, like why why they have so many credited screenwriters. Why three people had to write this movie. Three, Three people wrote this. I bet you 30 people wrote. I bet it was written as they shot it. Like, okay, time for kills four and five. So what's going to happen next? Uh, we're going to kill two other people that we don't like, you know, for, for no, you know, no other reasons than, eh, why not? You know, we're getting kid, an axe in the kid, head. Kids like, the kids, like grease, kids like grease too, right? Let's have some greasers get killed. Right, but then we, then we just kill a couple of other random people too. Let's get an axe in the head. Let's put an axe in the ample-chested lady, you know, because why not? 
you know, more kills, sheriff starting to get worried. I'd get worried too, sheriff. You're the sheriff of a town that has, you know, most of it got killed a few years ago, and now it's starting again. Yeah, you, you, it's a town where there's nobody between the ages of 12 and about 25 because they're right. all dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, how did you convince people to move here? The real estate must be cheap so or something. But, yeah, you've got all these random people around. Can we talk about the next-door neighbors, the rednecks, for a minute? Ethel and uh, yeah, Junior? Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, awful stereotypes, right? Uh, oh, but I'll, uh, I'll give that woman credit. Like, she goes for it. Oh, she she's 200% in. And I think that's another red herring that they're trying to establish by having these creepy, uh, these creepy out-of-place... Uh, I didn't know there were, like, creepy redneck shacks in New Jersey. But right, appara- yeah. apparently deliverance is everywhere. Uh, yeah, is that or it felt like you know one of the Texas Chainsaw? Uh, yeah, it's like Texas Chainsaw uh, with Matthew McConaughey. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the fourth one. Yeah, <laughs> these are yeah, these are two people from who were going to be in. Well, I guess at this time period, it would have been Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, Leatherface, but they just you know moved him to a different flick or something uh, yeah or I mean, these scenes were cut out of the hills have eyes too <laughs> and yeah, yeah they, they were put into that but they're all mad because there's these two people tina and eddie who are always sneaking off to go screw over on their land you know and so they you know they, i'm gonna get you get these you know and i want to say something this is one thing about this movie that is blatantly obvious this movie is foul i mean the language i don't usually perk up to language in a film because i've seen so many you know but like in this one i was going man it's like they're just working it in like too much it's overdone the cursing and the vileness coming out of these people's mouths yeah it's it's like somebody watched um eddie murphy uh or like all the pointless curse words in like 48 hours and like yeah we can do that yeah, I mean, like every, I mean, like, and not only do we have to work in random murder every five minutes, but we have to work in random cursing too. So, uh, it's, for absolutely yeah. no reason, just like no. they throw in curse words to throw in curse words. And I mean, you know, it's, it, it, it's not even like the, like, fun kind of cursing that you get in like a Quentin Tarantino flick or like in, or the charismatic kind of cursing that you'll get in like, uh, The Devil's Rejects. It's just, well, we haven't said the F word in like three sentences, so I, let's just throw it in there. Actually, I feel like Rob Zombie was taking notes of this and has replicated it many times in his career. I feel like a lot of his stuff does come off this way. But it is just worked in for shock value only. I mean, you can tell that the, these people don't know what they're doing, and they're just working from kill to kill. And we, now we get the most random kill of all, though. This dude just rolls up at Ethel's place looking for some food, and she's like, go clean out the chicken coop, right? And while he's doing that, he catches Tina and Eddie, you know, getting it on on the, the beach blanket, and he gets knifed in the stomach. And I'm like, well, he wasn't, they didn't even allow him, like, to turn red as a herring. Like, he barely got to yellow. That's why I uh, that's I thought that was just part of uh, them setting up Ethel and or her son whose name I can't remember um Junior as as red herrings like that I don't know that they were going to kill this dude and he was going to go into Farmer Vincent's fritters or something something I don't know but you get that extended uh love scene there um which I understand a much more of a scene um exists and they cut it down because people were like this Danny this isn't porn you can't shoot it that long you know <laughs> so um and poor Tina uh the woman played uh, whose name is Voorhees by the way I think her name's Deborah Voorhees in real life um you know gets killed with uh, garden shears in the eyes and subsequently was fired from two teachers jobs when they found out she did this scene i'm like man your your teachers union sucks <laughs> they can't protect you from something you did in your 20s oh yeah that, that must have been like a right to work state 
has to be. I'm like, man, like not once, but twice. <laughs> like, holy cow, some kid probably outed you because you gave him a bad grade or something. So uh, that's all I can think of. But yeah, uh, she gets the garden shears in the eyes, which, by the way, is a great kill. Can we just say like they, I mean it's incredibly gruesome, but you can just see it happen, you know. And then Eddie gets his head crushed with a leather strap, which is not a good kill, and the fake blood is obvious. Yeah, that's we go, we go from a really good kill to like a really bad kill. Yeah, in the uh, but, span but, of like it, ten seconds, we should say. By the way, for anybody that hadn't seen this recently, like it happens one on top of the other. So it's like it's like if you watch your favorite team and they make a good play, and then they turn the ball over the next play. You know, it's like, yeah. well, that was. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> or but like watching the Lions play if you're into that. So. But it's 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 weird because uh, we already mentioned that um, uh, another a different Wes Craven movie. Um, but this Danny Steinman was supposed to do a sequel to Last House on the Left, right? And Which, then when that fell through, when that fell through, they gave him this movie, and he was going to—he was supposed to direct like five other movies for Paramount. I'm for some sure reason, they, I'm sure they saw this and were like, "Can we just cut him the check and not?" Because, I mean, it's just so bad. And I don't want to lay it all. I mean, the man's dead, so he doesn't care. But I don't want to lay it all at his feet. I don't think he was given a whole lot to work with. And having to work under that ridiculous directive of every five minutes you got to have a kill scene, he he obviously sacrificed whatever story there might have been to accomplish that goal. Because it just seems like all we're doing is jumping from this to this to this. Yeah, the, the leather strap killing is terrible. I, th- I I can only assume that when they were editing the movie, they were like, "Oh man, it's been eight mo- eight minutes without a kill. Let's go back and reshoot something." Uh, uh, but we already spent all the money. Oh, I know. We'll we'll get a belt, and and fake Jason will kill him with a belt. Right. Yeah. It's so it's so terrible. Right. But we get a little break from the killing here for just a few minutes, where Tommy and Pam, who's the assistant director, and Reckless Reggie, whose grandfather is the cook at this place, we'll call him um, Dick Halloran. <laughs> yes, he is very like Dick Halloran's cousin, right? So, um, or he's the old man, um, the old African American man in the trailer park. If you've seen the last Starfighter, it's the same actor. Um, oh, that's, that's where I noticed. It. That's where I knew be him a from. Good day to day, Alex. Yeah, so I I knew that uh, nice. face. Yeah, so I knew that face. But Reggie here, though, man, how can you not know this guy Dudley from from Different Strokes, right? Like he was on that stuff and has played all those you know young roles or whatever. They go to visit his brother, whose name is Demon, and has a girlfriend named Anita. Speaking um, speaking of familiar faces, uh, this wonderful actor Miguel A. Nunez is infamous for being in. One of my favorite movies of all time, Return of the Living Dead. I didn't realize that was him. I wanted to ask, is this the guy from Joanna Man? Because he kind of looked like that, too. Um, he's in Return of the Living Dead? Yes, he plays another uh, He plays another mildly out-of-place black punk rock guy with a, with a jerry curl. I mean, yeah, it's like he's like a, a background member of DeBarge or something here. Uh, it's what he looks like to me. <laughs> or one of Michael Jackson's, you know, stand-ins. All he needed was the glove, right? And then Anita looks like she works by the hour. I'm just going to say it. Uh, yeah, that's, that's how she comes off. It's very trashy. <laughs> yeah. You, you might also recognize him from a brief scene in what, another one of my favorite movies. Let me let hold that on, ambulance yeah. go past. Yeah, they're coming to get you. So. There, there must no, they're on their way to, to Crystal Lake. That's what it is. It's Roy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But you also might recognize him from another one of my favorite movies, the hilarious black exploitation movie parody, Black Dynamite. I did not remember that. That's hilarious. He is uh, in the Council of Pimps. He's Mo Bitches. It's such a better movie and a better role than this. Because all he does here is, like, pawn off fake-ass gold on his little brother, eat some some enchiladas, and then eat have some them... really dodgy <laughs> van-based Mexican food. Yeah, he lives in a van down by the river. <laughs> okay? And they're sending... Grandpa, whatever, is sending him there because it's safer there than at the nut house in the woods where everybody's getting, you know, chopped to pieces, which I guess so. And you are exactly, you were exactly right. This is, he is also Joanna man. 
Oh, I knew it. I knew that that guy was Jawanovich. So, wow. And he was in Leprechaun 4. <laughs> I've seen him in so much stuff now. I've reviewed him before. How can uh, I not was, remember? He was DJ in the Terrible Street Fighter movie. He was in Carnosaur 2, which is my favorite of the three Carnosaur movies. <laughs> this dude's been in a lot of crap. How and, was he not? Tell me he has done some Golden Globus work in his life that we're going to have to go back to at some point. So. Oh, there's no doubt. I'm not all the way back through, but I mean, he keeps showing up in some rando stuff. So Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. But you know what? He, I mean, he gets the weirdest death because, you know, the enchiladas attack because, of course, they would after you microwave them in your van. This is our second Friday the 13th movie in a row where someone has a poop related death. It is a through line. You noticed it too. It's like two poop related deaths in a row. We it's we it's, get... it's not a it's not a through line, it's a poo line. <laughs> it it is though. We get another poo death here. He's but he's on the porta potty and he is singing to Anita out the door. Which some a, it's a, song. Yeah, which A, it's a terrible gross out of the house, and B that is a level of relationship comfort that I can only assume you get from living in a van with a person who eats like three day old enchiladas. Gotta be because like, not only is he singing to her, she is singing in return. Like they go back and forth. I'm like, this is a nightly occurrence with you two, isn't it? This is your, your cute thing that you do. And, you and, all, the, and all the while we can only assume that he's, crapping his guts out and so all i when we hear that he is and all i can think is that roy is just sort of passing through on his way to the camp to kill some more people and he hears this going on and he's like what and he looks over and i was like oh i'm just killing these two people on principle <laughs> you know i mean <laughs> i mean just like no nah, that that cannot be allowed so he slices anita's throat we find her outside the door and then he multiple stabs through the the louvre if you will with a big metal stake before he finally impales demon yeah that uh, i mean it's effective it's it's one of the more interesting things but uh it, it it's it doesn't feel sufficiently weird to kill this guy who was singing to his girlfriend on the while diarrheaing all over a, an outhouse. He should have gotten the drowned in in outhouse poop death. I don't think they could go for that. I, like, that's my only thought is that they were like they couldn't talk the actor into like even you know with the fakery of doing it or whatever. They were like, yeah, we'll just stab him with a tent stake. Who cares? You know, we got we got to move on because the scene that starts all of this is Reggie has to go back with Pam and Tommy because. Tommy bumps into Junior off of his motorcycle, Ethel's goofy redneck son, and beats the holy hell out of him, like American Ninja style. Like, he goes Michael Dudikoff on this guy and just beats him down. I mean, it's like, no, sir. And I'm like, man, Tommy's learned some some Tai Chi or some some Kung Fu in the nuthouse. Yeah, he, he was, uh, he got on that, uh, he was an early adopter of uh, Billy Blank's Taibo. That, or he was watching, he had that same book that Ralph Macchio had at the beginning of Karate Kid, and he just took it seriously. You know, the, the karate book. He, I mean, he nails this kid, though. It's it's hilarious. Because we, we both can admit, Junior's terrible. Like, you just want to hate this guy, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and so when Tommy beats the crap out of him, you're like, well, Tommy finally did something I liked in this movie. Yeah, Tommy. Uh, yeah, Tommy cannot beat the crap out of this kid enough. And I can, or this, he's not a kid. He's like a 38 year old man. He's a 38 year old man, but with a, like a 12 year old mind. Yeah. He's like, uh, the grown up, uh, the more grown up version of, uh, Joey. He's kind of like Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, <laughs> sort of this man child thing that, uh, shouldn't be there, but uh, has maybe fallen headfirst into the cement pond one too many times. Because uh, his like his therapy after this is to ride his motorcycle in you know donut circles around his yard, screaming his head off while his mother tries to make stew. You know, yelling at him the whole time, cursing at him, awful things. And he gets the most fun death, right? The most obvious one. <laughs> Roy Jason throws his machete out there and just beheads him as he's driving by. I'm like, awesome. Yeah, that that was definitely the most fun death. I, I wish they would have cut like a minute out of that whole doing donuts and screaming because I got sick of it. 
I don't think they could, man. I think this movie was running short as it was. <laughs> they had to they had to extend this sucker out just a little bit. I mean, this one this one is barely it's just ninety two minutes. It's eighty two if it's anything. Well, that's yeah. you do some uh, Zack Snyder slow mo. Something, right? Like you get, uh, you know, we haven't had our Jason slow mo. It's been in so many films in a row now. We we hadn't done that. It's all all four of them have featured a scene of it. And we don't really get one here. Uh, so and, that would have been the this, time to do it. And this is the perfect scene to do it in. You just have a slow motion shot of the head separating from the the, the dummy body, or like a shot of the decapitated body like riding around on the uh the little motor scooter thing see that would have been awesome if the motorcycle had kept going after he kept going so after he, he lost his head if you will uh but yeah but ethel gets it pretty quick too here with a meat cleaver to the face which i do understand was was a scene that was cut by the mpaa because it was very gross with her bleeding into her stew and whatnot but we get a close-up of her like squeezing a tomato to death as she goes into the the hereafter yeah and uh, which is weird because let's not kid ourselves uh, blood is the least of the problems in that stew Right. Like this is someone. Who does, this is a woman who doesn't wash her hands after she uses the uh, demon outhouse. No, no. Like I almost feel like this. Like this. This. This baby came from the outhouse. Like because they seem everything seems to be within like walking distance of each other here. So I I don't know. It's just, it's all set up to be these are gross stereotypes, and this is now where we start turning and go. We want him to kill all of these people. You know, like we we have no reason to care about anybody else he's killed because we've met them and then they're murdered. You know, so we don't have any investment in anybody. We we know it's not Tommy. If you've seen this movie more than once, you realize it's not him, you know, because and now you have definitive proof it's not him because he's with Pam while all this is going down. So it's not him. So now you're just trying to figure out, well, is it the old cook, man? It's, is it Reckless's grandfather? Is it, you know, who is doing it? And of course now, you know, we know in the end, of course, it's Roy. Yeah. I was just thinking how much of a better movie this would be if it was Michael Dudikoff playing Tommy. I, you know what? I feel like we get Michael Dudikoff in the next movie, but we'll get there. We'll get there. So, um, I, I do think this is, uh, this is going off the rails quick, though, because now we're back at the camp, right? And we have a random boy named Jake who makes a move on a girl named Robin. And I wrote down the words, shut down city. Like, he's a little bit of a stutterer or something, so he finally gets the, the words out, and she's like, no. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> It, it's like, probably oh. it's it's like even more brutal than uh, it's the most brutal shutdown in any of these flicks. I, the, big time. I, 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 I mean, can't even think of even like the one in four where um, the one in three where the girl shuts the in, down. Yeah, shuts down Shelly and and we're like ah, but then she starts to come around before she gets it, shot. Yeah, at least she's at least she's <laughs> nice to him afterwards. This is really yeah. just ice cold. This is like as yeah. cold as the uh, let me put it in the computer guy when he gets shut down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's terrible. I I felt I felt bad for the kid because then he goes upstairs to be murdered. Like he gets hit in the face with a cleaver, right? And Roy, in his infinite wisdom, has seen all this go down and decides while Robin is undressing, I'm going to set him on her top bunk so she doesn't see him when she goes to lay down next to him because bunk beds are so spacious, right? Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and as she lays down next to him after she randomly takes off her shirt for you know no reason because we just needed another shot in, in this movie, she gets stabbed from underneath because she doesn't notice someone on the bottom bunk either. I mean, th this is lazy. This is the thing that I hate about th this part of this film is that we're doing kills for no reason against characters we don't care about anyway, but now they're just being lazy about it. Like, it's just it's like, yeah, we just got to kill all these people now. And it's not even making any sense. As, as goofy as those last movies were with the way people got taken out by Jason, at least there was some little bit of rhyme or reason or pattern to it. I don't know what it is here. And at least we'd spent more than, like, two scenes with them. Right. Like, we Even saw this like, girl fold laundry, and now we see her take her shirt off, and she's dead. Like, that's kind of it. And I mean, we know she, that's why she was hired, because she was willing to take her shirt off. But can't we have, like, I don't know, like, her having one conversation with another person that isn't Jake? I don't, like, I, guess, I don't even remember yeah. them actually being show. I, I had forgotten that they were in the movie. 
they show Wait, up yeah. just in time to get murdered. You know, like a like, year. Uh, the thing is, is this this actress a year later gets killed by Norman Bates in Psycho Three after she does weird things with Jeff Fahey and a lamp. Um, if you've ever seen Psycho Three, uh, I, I mean, it's like she gets hired for these same roles <laughs> over and over again. We meet her and then we take her shirt off and then we stab her, and that, that's sort of all she's done here. It's terrible. Yeah, remind me to tell you after we're done recording that I saw a guy who looked exactly like Jeff Fahey the other day. This is all just random kill because we have to we have to knock everybody off, and then finally, you know, we we actually we, we haven't talked about Violet, the breakdancer girl who's popping and locking before Jason stabs her with a machete or fake Jason stabs her with a machete. And I mean, talk about, you know, we talked about last time that they actually had like real music in, in the film for once. I don't know what this crap was. <laughs> they definitely didn't have real music for this film. They did not. It's like you turned on your Casio keyboards, preloaded stuff, and you found that one key that went da 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 da. And you just sort of like recorded it for a few minutes and like, see, I made a song too. Yeah, it was the, uh, yeah, it was the, uh, the new wave uh, setting on your keyboard or the. Um... Yeah. It's very weird samba rumba thing going on, but like, what is she? She's dancing, and I'm like, what are your dreams? Are do you want to go like be on Solid Gold? Is that your thing now? You know, I don't, Solid I don't Gold wasn't those. even a thing at, anymore by this time, right? I was going to '85. Was that even still happening? Was Bandstand still on? I, I guess MTV had taken over now because we, no, we talked about before how, how it, MTV wasn't influencing these movies. It clearly is now. She she probably yeah she probably was trying to be like a a video vixen. Or she was shooting for that Soul Train uh, dance line. <laughs> that is Soul Train. That's what I was going for. Yeah, she's trying to get on Soul Train. But uh, alas, she gets macheted in, in the end uh, of her. So fake Jason shows up finally because Pam and, and Reggie are, are hanging out. And he starts chasing them through the rain. And we see some other deaths that have come around. Uh, the other EMT, who's a total jerk early, so you know he's going to die, is like hanging out of the ambulance with his throat cut. And... I, we haven't talked about the guy that runs this place, Dr. Matthew. Did you yeah, recognize he, this dude? He shows up in the beginning and he shows up at the end to die. Um, yeah. I did I did not recognize him, but he reminded me of a couple of different people. Uh, he looked like, he looks like Joseph Palato from Day of the Dead, <laughs> Captain Rhodes. Uh, yeah. You know, the guy who famously yells, I hope you choke as the zombies rip yeah. him in half. Exactly. But he, but he sounds like 1985 era Bruce Campbell. Well, here's the thing. It's so funny you mentioned Bruce Campbell. If you've seen the opening of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he's the guy with the fedora that gives it to River Phoenix. No. You know? Yes, that's him. And he's also in a bad movie with Tom Selleck called An Innocent Man where he plays a corrupt cop. I knew I'd seen the face you know, somewhere, but the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade one, his name's Richard Young. And I'm like, he must have like shot this, ran over there, did this. He came back, shot his death scene where you find him impaled on a tree with a railroad spike. And I'm like, where's the train? I haven't heard a, tra a train nearby this place in four movies. Look, I have relatives that work for the railroad. If the railroad is functioning, you hear a train every day, at least twice. And where did you just get that random weapon, you know? To and we don't even see it. It's one of those off-screen kills. We just see the aftermath of it. Which, talk about a cop-out and talk about disappointing Completely. And the old black man, Duke, we don't even see him get killed either. He gets thrown through a window and we see his body, you know? So I'm like, well, who, who's that guy? How did he end up there? I don't, I don't know. It's just, it, it's like they, they went on fast forward at the end of this stupid movie. I, I can only assume that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just bad. It's, it's actually, his name's George. Yeah. So never, never mind. Not, not Duke, but yeah. Uh, Vernon Washington gets off. We don't even know why, right? And I love how Reggie the Reckless like finally lives up to the nickname. Though he gets that tractor and he like cuts down fake Jason with the tractor. He like runs him over. I'm like, holy cow, man! That's it's finally we get some proactive protagonists because Tommy's supposed to be the proactive one, but he's completely useless at the end. He just goes catatonic, right? Yeah, and and that's really kind of disappointing because he's they've worked so hard to build him up as like dangerous. Right, and least, all he does is freeze when, when fake Jason starts cutting on him. Uh, yeah, and, and possibly wet his pants. That's implied, but not and it's it not but not shown. <laughs> and th that had to be something cut because it does he does stand there and look like uh oh. 
You know, so that he he is gone again. Yeah, it looks right? like he ate some bad enchiladas off the <laughs> off the off dashboard Demon. of that van. Yeah, maybe he had one from Demon, or we just didn't see it. But fake Jason cuts him up, but he doesn't kill him. I love how Pam tries to throw him off the loft, but he hangs on like Hans Gruber style. You know, like he's 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 hanging on for dear life, Roy here. And when he is finally, you know, Tommy chops his arm off with a machete, and he he's impaled below. We see that he was wearing not one, but two masks. The, they make a point to show that the mask flies off of his face randomly as he's going down. So the stuntman did a great job of tossing that. Mm-hmm. But he's got, got on the bald cap thing to hide his hair because Roy had a full head of hair. And then the mask goes to the left. And I'll be honest with you, the first time I saw this movie, I missed the doctor being dead or whatever. And I thought the doctor was the Jason the whole time. And that would also be a much better movie than Roy the Random EMD. Yeah, because uh, Richard Young, for all his faults and all his disappearing in some point in the mid-90s, is still a much better actor than Roy was. And at least then, it could have been something like, you know, he's been studying the... Tommy's file, and he, uh, you know, was trying to do some radical therapy to, to make Tommy better, or he was... <laughs> he was are, you stu- trying, are you trying to tell me he was doing Shutter Island therapy? Like, like Yeah, later? exactly. It was like a proto-Shutter <laughs> Island, because clearly we're going to rewrite this movie until it's a much better flick. So let's keep just... Let's keep let's keep let's just keep taking stuff, you know. We'll turn <laughs> yeah. um, Junior into Randy Quaid. Yeah, uh, that, from Independence that Day. That totally or, works. Or Randy Quaid from <laughs> Randy Quaid's Real Life. It's about to say it could just be Randy Quaid playing Randy Quaid. So uh, then Vic the Axe Murderer has to be Tom Sizemore. I'm just going to insist on that because Clint's too old to pull that off now. But. Uh, <laughs> Either that or Timothy Oliphant. But, uh, yeah, w- you know, we get the explanation scene in the hospital, which cracks me up because it's like, we found Roy's wallet, and he conveniently left all these press clippings about Jason Voorhees and a snapshot of his son that looks like it was taken two days before he was axed. I'm like, where did he get it from, man? Like, these cops are so ready to wrap up the the case. It's like they're working on a Lifetime movie. <laughs> nice crossover there with... Uh... <laughs> Unauthorized, our Lifetime movie podcast. Please check it out. We enjoy it. I'm going to assume that um, they thought, well, it worked in Psycho, so let's go ahead and do it again, yet again in this series, because this is not the first time they've done that. No, they we did that at the end of the last movie. I think I think it was more that we did at the end, at the end of the last movie, so we need to explain it all again, right? Because to, we, you know we flashed to to Tommy having this. Uh, random nightmare about Jason. Uh, and, and actually he, he stabs Pam from like a knife he's hidden underneath his hospital bed when she comes in to see him. And then when she, you know, he wakes up and he's like freaking out and somewhere, how did he get Roy's mask and staff it in, stick it in his drawer? Wouldn't that be evidence like exhibit a or, or something? Somewhere yeah, on the way? definitely. That's and I think like they would have noticed if they had gone missing. Cause it's not like he went anywhere, but straight to the hospital. Right, with that huge slash across his chest. Yeah, well, again, these cops are stupid, and this movie is stupid, and the ending is even dumber. And what's even worse is that they tease us with the idea that Tommy is going to take up the mantle because he's got the mask on, and he's standing behind Pam with these wild eyes on a knife, and it's like, dun-dun-dun, and then it just cuts to black. So, And if you were going to do that, do that at the beginning of the movie. Make him Jason. Just go right. straight up and do that. Don't give me this Scooby-Doo crap with, with Roy. You know, just let him be it. It makes no sense. Uh, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to do the most obvious thing besides this film uh, is to get final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So tell me how small the popcorn is, Ron. Um, okay, so you know the bag of microwave popcorn? Right. Well, throw it in the microwave for about 20 minutes. And then after it catches fire and becomes charcoal, that is the popcorn that Friday the 13th Part 5 is. It's the by and lo- it's by far the worst movie in the series. Um, it's the dumbest movie in a series that has never really had much in the way of brains, which is kind of impressive. And even by Friday the 13th standards, it is stupid 
uh, venal and meaningless, which is pretty amazing because this, because the Friday the 13th movies, and I think you'll agree with me, are straight up the sleaziest slash dumbest slash here's some boobs and murder of all the 80s slasher flicks. Oh, completely. Like we talked about in part one, the thing about this series you've got to know going into it is that it is made purely for profit and not for story. They're, they don't even try to tell coherent stories until years into the series. So the fact that they were able to string together three films from two, three to four that had somewhat of a continuous uh, plot line is amazing to me. And I am trying to think, Ron, if I know another horror series that from one part to the very next one, went so far downhill like even halloween 3 which is not a good film but is a fun film to watch or whatever halloween 3 is not nearly as dunderheaded as this thing is this is a terrible waste of time and even then you had uh uh halloween 2 to kind of lower your expectations for halloween 3 this one you go from one of the better flicks in the series to the worst of all the Friday the 13th movies. I agree. I mean, you come out with such a strong, strong entry in part four, and you bring back a character that you can build from, and you do it all wrong. This is the smallest of burnt garbage popcorn. Uh, One of the worst things we've ever reviewed and we've reviewed some bad films in in film strip land not even just talking to you and i like you know brian and i've done some bad ones nick and i have all of us have have done bad films together but i don't know that i enjoyed watching one less than i enjoyed watching this like this is so just a pain to get through and i i'm telling you if it wasn't a part of the eight disc set list that i had i wouldn't watch it like it's not worth it it i I'm not the I'm the kind of person who, if I see a movie is going to be on TV, I'll, I'll tend to stop and watch it. If it's a dumb '80s slasher movie, this one I just keep right on going. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing to hang on to from here. And or or I turn yeah. it on this one and I realize, oh, oh, this is <laughs> the one that sucks. And then I, I I turn it on to Chopped or something. That, well, that's when you realize, you know, it's time to clean off that bookshelf, you know, or whatever. You know, I'm going to go relace my shoes or something. Like, there's so many other things you could do that are better uses of your time than Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. Uh, Friday the 13th, totally beginning nothing is more like it. This is a terrible, terrible film. So uh, I, I cannot uh, say any more about it. It's just bad and... Time to move on. But luckily, I can say it does get better somewhere down the line here. But I think you hit it off, off right off the, the top, Ron, when you realize that this is where the series starts going down and it never totally recovers. <laughs> you know, that it just never gets back to where it had it at four, at least not in the, the Paramount uh, versions of uh, Friday the 13th. And, and it's not just that the movies get worse. It's that they start making less money every time too. Yeah, I think too they they turn a corner when when slasher movies just don't bring in the box office anymore. We'll talk more about that in subsequent episodes. episodes. Folks, thanks for joining us in this latest edition of Filmstrip. Of course, you can find all of our back catalog on iTunes and also on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Hook up with us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you think and leave a positive review for the show. It helps other people find it. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.